The Start On Demand. On demand. was a solid Sunday, wasn't it? Winnipeg Jets smashed the St. Louis Blues. Tiger Woods makes history by winning his fifth title at the Masters. And to channel Dwayne The Rock Johnson, finally, Game of Thrones has come back to TV. On today's podcast, you're going to hear from Kelly Moore on the Jets, Bob Irving on Tiger Woods, and I stayed up late to watch the season eight debut of Game of Thrones, which is the biggest show on TV. And we're going to meet the owners of one of the coolest clothing brands in Winnipeg, The Peg. And they've got some really sweet stuff to help you embrace the Winnipeg Whiteout. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, April 15th podcast for The Start. Thank you very much, Jeff Braun, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. I don't know what the heck is going on outside our window. I know, McNabb, you can't see because we've got this, like, <laughs> grow up looking tinfoil on our window It is, it is, and then there's the heat, like, there's lights in the corner. It is a bit like a grow up. That's funny. Yeah, but looking out our window here at Polo Park as I extend the microphone arm, it... Is winter ever going away? Like I thought just, it was supposed to be nice out. It's snowing, wet snow. It it looks miserable out there. When I drove Your microphone the- sounds miserable, by the way. Just cranky. That microphone's cranky. It's actually... I'm trying... Oh, there we go. That's oh, the yeah. sweet spot. So annoying. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. If it's not aggravating enough to get out of bed on a Monday morning... Brett McGarry just made it just a tiny bit more so. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of wet out there. On the way in this morning through the downtown, all the water trucks had been up and down Portage Avenue and Main Street. They don't even need to do that now. Just get the street cleaners out there. Like, quickly, every street cleaner available should be out on the streets right now. They don't need to wet them at all. They can take advantage. Mother Nature is uh, blessing us with a, a little bit of a snow-rain mix right now, but that could possibly cause some problems for you if you're out on the highway, 780-6868. If it's causing issues traffic-wise for you this morning. Now, we are expecting some nicer temperatures this week. 10 degrees today for a high, sunny and 14 Tomorrow, 13 on Wednesday. I saw a Saturday in the mix at some point this week, but that looks like that's changed a bit. Uh, 15 uh, degrees. Did I say Saturday seven? or 17? You said Saturday. I but... saw a 17 on a Saturday. <laughs> there we go. At some point this week. <laughs> there will still be a Saturday this week, though. That's Thank good. goodness. I didn't, want to, ta- good I didn't want to take that away from you, people. <laughs> there right. will be a Saturday. And maybe 17 degrees. Hey, who's not in a good mood today after that win last night? Oh, boy. You know what? Uh, The game started at 6.30 last night. I can't imagine what things will be like Wednesday morning with the 8.30 start. We had the 8.30 start on on Friday night, and the Jets came up a tiny bit short. But what a game last night by the Winnipeg Jets. They really put things all together. Things started to go their way. The puck was bouncing their way, including... A magical shot from Dustin Bufflin from behind the goal line that he bounced off essentially the ear of St. Louis Blues goaltender Jordan Bennington. It was absolutely brilliant. And anybody who tells you that it was not done on purpose has not been watching Dustin Bufflin play mm-hmm. hockey. He did that absolutely purposefully. And it was a thing of beauty. The Jets uh, 
climbing back into the series down two games to one. You could certainly feel it in that first period. There was something different about the, they were playing so well, which is how they did the first two games. But, and? But the, and I kept thinking, is anything going to get past is this Biddington guy? Like, he just kept stopping everything. And then once it started going. The first period last night, arguably the best of the seven periods the Jets had played to that point. And they were down one nothing after mm-hmm. the first period. But the Jets were resilient and managed to plug away, tie the game, and uh, move ahead. And when it, even when it was 5, I guess it was 5-2, and then St. Louis made it 5-3, the Jets have blown some leads down the stretch. People were a little uncomfortable. There's no question about it. And then the Jets got their sixth goal very quickly after St. Louis closed the gap to 5-3. So th- there was very little doubt at a certain point as to what was going to happen. And uh, the Jets and their fans, I think, feeling a little more confident this morning in spite of being down 2-1 to one in this series. How grumpy were you Friday night? I wasn't all that grumpy. I was certainly disappointed. The Jets deserved a little bit of a better fate. I think you could boil it down to this if you wanted to oversimplify things. Game one was a coin flip, 2-1 game. Friday night. The Jets goaltender, Connor Hellebuck, did not play very well. And last night, it was the Jets' turn to get in the head of Jordan Bennington. So, really, that's where we stand after three games. And we should see some details, I would think, today then, because they're back here for a game five. Game five Thursday night. And then that means another party. That means at least one more party. This was an exciting weekend overall, I think, for for us, for in all kinds of reasons. The Jets coming back last night to, to turn this series around, hopefully, get back into the series uh, Game of Thrones returned last night, so I was I made the the choice to stay up. As you are going to be faced with the choice tomorrow night, you said eight thirty start for the 8:30 game. Eight thirty start tomorrow. Are you going to stay up and watch it? I have no choice, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good man. Well, that's how I felt last night with the return of Game of Thrones. Much later start though, yeah. Well, it starts at ten o'clock. I'm on Shaw, and my understanding is if you're on MTS, then it starts at eight because it airs on HBO at nine Eastern. But we get. On Shaw, we get the, 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 I think it's the mountain mm-hmm. time feed. And so it doesn't st- come on until 10 o'clock. So I stayed up at 10. And then, of course, after it was done, I had to read. I had to go online and read some reviews and read some recaps. So what time were you up till? I think I, got, I went to bed at 1130. Oh, oh my. gross. Yeah. So I woke up uh, just a little bit later this morning. Couldn't quite drag myself out of bed until I think it was like 345 when I finally got up. But I'm so I was happy about that. And... I was very happy that I just happened to turn on TV to see what was going on in the Masters, assuming the leaders wouldn't tee off until 1230, as they usually do on Sundays. Right. It's 11 o'clock, and I knew there, there would be guys playing. I just wanted to see what was happening. And I see Tiger Woods, and it says Tiger Woods 11th hole. And I'm thinking, what is happening? Yeah. Is this a replay? No, he's wearing red. It's Sunday. Tiger always wears red on Sunday. What is happening? It so was I Googled, so great. I Googled t- uh, Masters early start. Lightning? Was it lightning that got them on the course earlier? They were concerned about a very large thunderstorm that was in the forecast. They were watching it since early in the week. Yeah. And so they decided to move up the tee-off time. I had no idea. I opened Twitter at 8.30, and someone's talking about eating their oatmeal watching Tiger Woods and how amazing this is. And I'm thinking, are you watching yesterday's round? What are you doing? And then I scroll through, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they teed off. I stayed in bed till 11 o'clock watching golf. I liked it because— It was spectacular. It was like watching the British Open, and it was a little windy. It was like watching the British Open— in Georgia. 
oh, <laughs> on yeah. our time zone because it was it was fantastic. Nothing better. Nothing better. It was good better. because it also it was, it was a decent day yesterday, and so it ended earlier. I didn't feel like I had. I don't want to use the word wasted, but I didn't feel like I had wasted my day because golf can eat up the whole afternoon. And I was like, point. oh, I'm done by two. Perfect. Now we can go outside and still do some things. And it probably worked out well for the players because Tony Finau, who was in the final group, I think he was in the final group last year as well, and he said he actually liked the earlier start because last year it ended up feeling like the longest day of his life because he had to wait until probably one thirty in the afternoon, I guess, their time when mm-hmm. they would have teed off. Sure. It's usually off the tee or off the course by that That's time. That's right. Yeah, the, those final groups on Sunday when you're in the hunt and the, it's a major tournament later in the day, it... it Athletes are creatures of habit, and so on those very special days, it's sort of bizarre that they make them treat the day a little bit differently than they normally would. But Tiger Woods, love them or hate them, if you saw that yesterday, you witnessed one of the great stories in sports history, one that will be spoken about for a very, very long time. Stressful nights for residents in the Netley Creek area in St. Andrews. Yeah, that's just north of Winnipeg, and that's where several homeowners were put on an evacuation alert after floodwaters rose sharply over the weekend. At one point on Saturday night, the water was climbing six inches every 30 minutes. Officials believe that was because of an ice jam, but it appears this morning the situation is improving, for now at least. Jim Stinson is the emergency coordinator in the RM of St. Andrews and joins us over the phone. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Ms. Smith. I understand you've been out early monitoring the situation. What, what are you seeing? I am very happy with the snow coming. The water has gone down about uh, three feet. Um, I would suspect that a little the surge, a little bit of water that came from the floodway, pushed our ice dam beyond the cut and allowed the Red River to stay in the Red River rather than back to the creek. If I'm hearing you right, so the 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 activation of the floodway allowed more water to push those ice jams out of the area. Is that correct? I I'm not sure of that, but uh, we started to see it around midnight. That the water very slowly, about half an inch, started creeping down, and that would have been the time that the water from the floodway would have arrived. Uh, and it from about midnight, we started to see it creeping down. We didn't get too excited. So we had first light to make sure that it had gone far enough and the water around the back way. Jim, we heard word that you were trying to uh, do some surveillance from the sky to figure out exactly where those ice jams were. Did you manage to figure it out? And is there anything you that can bet. be done? You betcha. The uh, rural municipality hired a aircraft in the morning and then again at about 6 o'clock last night. And with that, we really were able to determine exactly where that ice jam was and verify what we were seeing on the ground. So then what do you do with that ice jam? Well, what we did when we saw that ice jam, we did a little more protection in certain areas because we knew with that jam being there that it was going to uh, cause uh, more high water in certain areas because we had done elevation shots of the entire area. Looking at some of the pictures, Jim, I know there was water over the roads and water just inches away from some of the uh, makeshift dikes put up around some of the homes. How many people are impacted or on flood watch in your area right now? I would suggest a lot of people are getting rest and maybe a lot of them even are going to work. I don't think there's a big concern here. The municipality 
our public works have been out all night, as well as our firemen monitoring it. Uh, just by somewhere, public works guys are pumping out a bowl where the water drains into to keep it out. So I would suggest um, we're looking pretty good right now. Jim, it's amazing what can happen in a matter of hours, in this case a, a, about 24 hours since the alarm bell uh, figuratively was sounded on this situation in your RM. It, it's delightful in, in my mind to, to hear you speaking so positively and, and actually sounding quite comfortable with the situation as it stands. Our firefighters and our public works people are very experienced in this. Uh, a lot of them live right on the right. One, I had a firefighter yesterday who has been going steady. And I went and checked his house because he's right on the river. And he was very, very close to water coming to his house. He was more concerned of other residents than protecting his own. And finally, I said to him, you protect your house. And he says, well, that's all he does. And I says, yours is more in danger than the other ones. Do yours. That's the type of dedication that these firefighters and public guys are. I called last night at 10 o'clock about getting culverts steamed. The public works immediately were there to get the, that steam and it prevented a house from getting water in it. Jim Stinson, emergency coordinator in the RM of St. Andrews, joining us this morning live on 680 CJOB. Jim, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it. Okay, guys. Question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Tiger Woods' historic Masters victory captivated millions of sports fans on Sunday. Did you watch? Your choices are, yes, I wanted to see him win. Yes, I wanted to see him lose. No, I didn't know they started early. Or no, watching golf is boring. And joining us on 680 CJOB, <laughs> Bob Irving. Good morning. Is golf boring? No, no. It was a, a long, exhausting day on the couch for those of us who love sport yesterday. <laughs> and it started early in the morning with the golf. No, I don't find golf boring. I know some people do. Uh, I've said many times I'm a serial golf watcher. And that applies to many sports. But the, the Masters has always had a, a particular appeal, I think, to everybody who's interested in golf and Tiger Woods uh, and the great success he's had over the years adds to that. And then when you put the combination of him trying to complete this incredible comeback yesterday, it was great theater. It was The Masters is always great theater, but yesterday uh, it was something special. I watched it with my my son, Reed, and we were on the edge of our chairs over the last six or seven holes uh, you know, is Tiger going to do it? Is he going to win? And that's what everybody was wondering. And, you know, Brad, I think you said that, uh, you know, there are people out there who didn't want to see Tiger win. There's lots of Tiger haters still out there, partly because of the success he's had and partly because of the way he's lived his life or did 10 or 12 years ago, uh, but just as many or more. And I, I think the crowd in Augusta told you all you needed to know about how people felt, certainly big golf fans felt about Tiger. The cheers that he got were through the roof. So it was it was a special for me watching golf, and I've watched golf for many, many years very closely. It was a special day that I won't forget. Some are calling it the greatest comeback or sports comeback at all, of all time. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think you'd have to rank it up there, Loren. I, I don't know what the greatest one would be. Golf is an individual sport. 
unlike team sports where teams come back. Uh, I can't remember anything quite like this. Uh, Tiger had been written off in terms of his ability to win majors by a lot of people uh, because of the injuries that have taken their toll on him in recent years. Although last year he did win the Tour Championship, and I think his play in the majors and there demonstrated that he was, in fact, back as a force in the game. But now to complete it in the way he did by winning the most prestigious tournament that there is, uh, yeah, certainly. And people love a comeback. They, they love to see, you know, Tiger climbed the tallest of mountains possible and then was in the lowest valley imaginable. So he's gone from one extreme to the other, and now he's back on top. And it, whether you like him or not, it really is quite a story. Bob, Loren and I were doing some homework with regard to Jack Nicholas and, and how old he was when he won his 18th and final major. He was 46. Tiger Woods is 43 years old, needs three to catch Jack on that front. Do you think that's the motivation that will keep Tiger Woods playing now and to keep him focused on on capturing uh, more championships? Is, is, that, is that really the, the carrot that dangles in front of him? Sure, that's the last hill he has to climb, Greg, and, and I don't know if he'll say it or admit it, but for sure that will drive him to try and, and win the three majors that he needs to tie Jack and the four to beat him. Now, he is 43, and nobody beats father time, and golfers rarely win majors in their 40s. Nicholas at 46 was an exception, and Tiger at 43 is an exception, but he's an exceptional athlete. You know, he's blessed with great talent, the kind of mental toughness, I think, that uh, all the great ones have. And, of course, he works hard. Uh, so I, I like his chances after what we saw yesterday, and that will drive him for sure. It's funny, you know, two years ago, I guess he told people at the Masters dinner, uh, and this was when he was trying to recover from this fourth back surgery, that he didn't think he'd ever play golf at a high level again. And here he is now at this point, and you know, as long as his health holds up, and that was always the caveat with Tiger, as long as his health holds up, I think he can beat Jack's record. I really do. Now, Bob, you tweeted Saturday morning, don't call or text me or knock on my door today or tomorrow between noon and 7 p.m. I'll be locked into the Masters like a hopeless golf zombie. Saturday yeah. and Sunday at the Masters, two of the sweetest days of the year. But yeah. between noon and 7 on Sunday, got thrown out the window. <laughs> For yeah. those who were tuned in early wondering why is Tiger on the 11th hole at 11 in the morning, why did they get out early on Sunday? Well, there was some bad weather coming into Augusta, Georgia, and they made the announcement late Saturday afternoon, as a matter of fact, that they moved the tee times all up to, to the morning. And, of course, those of us who are interested and follow the Masters the way I do, and there's millions of people who do, we knew that they were going to start early. But I'm sure a lot of people were, were caught off guard by it. But, uh, no, I was, up, uh, I was up early and raring to go. You know, one of the things that really struck me, too, at the end of the tournament yesterday was the raw emotion that Tiger Wood showed. He's always been you know, sort of controlled in his excitement and his emotion, but he let out this primal yell, and then he, you know, he couldn't stop celebrating with his family and his friends and, and fellow golfers, and it was really quite exceptional because he has never, ever, never, ever done that. I think it told you how much it meant to him. I was thinking that when I watched in the moments prior on the opposite end, how he was trying so hard, in my opinion, to contain those yep. emotions and hold it all in. And I kept thinking, like, what is going through his head as he goes for what should be the short and easy putt for the win? And then when he didn't immediately let out that roar, I was a little bit disappointed because I wanted him to just kind of unleash and throw the club in the air almost. It was, it was quite the thing to watch. 
Yeah, it really was. It's uh, something we'll be watching for the next, well, forever, I guess, in terms of uh, highlight reels. And I, I think it just underlined, again, here's a guy who's, you know, been in the depths of despair, and now he's back on top. Uh, when many had counted him out and thought he never, they ran a little, I watched it on, I think it was on Twitter, where they ran this series of clips of uh, golfers and, and sports analysts as saying that Tiger would never win a major again. He would never win a major again. He's watching all the Tiger is watching all this with with a bemused look on his face. And, of course, now he has the great joy of uh, throwing it right back at them. Yeah, the way he looks at the camera at the end of that is, is quite <laughs> intense yeah. and uh, so fitting after all. So yeah. the PGA has rearranged its calendar a little bit this year. Bob, they want to be done the PGA season essentially before the beginning of the NFL season is the uh, is right. the guess that, that Brett and I came up with this morning when we were looking at this. We don't have to wait long now for the next major. The PGA Championship at Beth Page Black in, in New York uh, comes up uh, pretty quick here, May 16th it starts. Well, and then the U.S. Open is at Pebble Beach where, you know, Tiger has, has played well and the, the British Open will be over in Ireland and, uh, you know, there's been this is a great era for golf. There's all these terrific young players and many of them were in contention over the weekend, but nobody attracts a crowd like Tiger Woods and so you know, the, the TV ratings are going to go through the roof the next uh, few majors, then he's going to play in them, of course, and people will be watching. He's reignited interest in people who had kind of lost it, even though there's a lot of talent out there now. So what he means to golf and has meant to golf has been immeasurable, and it's right back where it started. Bob Irving joining us live on 680 CGOB after emerging from his golf zombie self-imposed uh, <laughs> sabbatical over the weekend. Yeah. I survived it, and I quite enjoyed the Jets game last night, too, by the way. Oh, that's a long day on the couch then, Bob. Oh, boy. Bob, Bob, we'll have to have you on later on the week. We'll see what happens on Tuesday night with the Jets. Maybe we'll, we'll talk to you and, and set up the Jets game five uh, against St. Louis on Thursday night. Love to, yep. Bob Irving, thank you very much for joining us. And in case you missed it, this is how it sounded as Tiger Woods captured his first green jacket since 2005. Many doubted we'd ever see it. But here it is. The return to glory. Yeah, watching him on the tee on the 16th, I think it's the 16th tee where it was that par three where mm-hmm. he, he came just inches short of the cup. And seeing him, his face just stone-faced, just stoic. I thought, how are you keeping it together That's what I thought was almost more remarkable than the unleashing of emotion was to not show any emotion. And then you could, they would get these tight shots of him with these beads of sweat on the side of his face, right? And I get it's really warm where he is, I understand that. But I felt like it was like the leaking out of all the things that were inside him that he could not show or say was coming through in sweat. How unusual is it to see golfers chewing gum? I don't know if that threw anybody else off, but, uh, you know, I'm used to seeing Tiger grab those nutrition breaks, and he'll, he, he's one where he doesn't really hide it. He'll have a bite to eat, and he'll walk down the fairway chewing on a granola bar or something like that. Uh, but to see him chewing gum, that's something that I've never, ever noticed from him before. And I wonder if that's a, another part of the new, the reinvented Tiger Woods to help keep things in check. It, it's, uh, it was something that, uh, that caught my attention Or maybe yesterday. he's watching hockey and seeing all the coaches who well, contain their stress by just chowing down <laughs> on 16 packs of gum per no, day. No ice buckets handy <laughs> on the golf course. And again, go to cjob.com for our Tiger Woods-themed 
question of the day. What did you and Kelly do on Friday? Well, on Friday afternoon, Kelly and I were honored to visit Jordan's 411 Sports Show at Miles Mack Collegiate. Usually it's Jordan Rogodzinski who conducts the terrific interviews. We thought we should flip the script so that you could learn more about a very special young man pursuing his dreams. I started by asking Jordan if he's always been a big sports fan. Yes, I actually started um going to bomber games since I was eight years old and I'm only 19 years old so that just shows how long I have been a sports fan and when the jet came back I remember where I was I was in Lord Wolfley school at um uh, in my in my uh computer lab Listening to Mark Chipman announce that the Jets were coming, the Jets were coming back. It was a day that a lot of people waited for in the city. It's changed our city big time. So what is it that you like about doing this show and to talking to your guests? What, what, what do you get out of it? I like how um, inclusive the school have been and I like how I can have people with all different abilities, like some people are athletes, some people are broadcasters like you guys, and some people are even um, go to school. I have people on that have a degree in like sports and that. So you're in a wheelchair. Have you been in a wheelchair since you were little? Maybe tell people what, what you deal with. Yes, I have a condition called cerebral palsy. What that is, is I basically had a brain bleed that affected the part of my muscles that affect how I walk. And all my muscles are affected to some degree. So I just deal, I just deal with um, different challenges throughout the day. It's not one specific one. You mentioned the inclusivity here at Miles Mac. I know there are a bunch of chairs here, and I know over the years you've had some really big crowds in for some of your guests. That, that must be super special to to share the school with, with folks that are so supportive. Yes, it is. And actually, big shout out to my producer, Mike Neal. Uh, when he when he left to go to Chief Pegwitz, uh, that he left the wild go. And when he came back, that's when it really took off. So even though he doesn't like the credit, I'll give him some. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kelly, you should jump in on here because uh, you're a huge fan of what Jordan does here too. Absolutely. And, you know, the we had the pleasure of having Jordan come down and visit us at CJOB one time. And uh, you could just tell right away the passion that he has for sports and you know I'll tell you what uh, Jordan uh, the thing that you do and Greg mentioned uh, you listen and you're able to ask questions that most of us don't ever think of so what was the most interesting question you asked whether it was Mike O'Shea or Milt Stiegel or Craig Isinger or, or any of the made many guests you've had on but what was the one answer you got that you were totally shocked or surprised <laughs> by? Well, actually, I shot Most Eagle because I uh, watched his retirement DVD 
and when he retired in 2008, and I asked him why he gave up to um, rookie receivers, and he's like, how did you know that? I'm like, I watched your DVD, and he's like, I did your research. So that, for me, just shows that I can do different types of research, and my memory must be amazing. <laughs> One more box ticked off on my broadcasting bingo card to spend some time with Jordan. You can follow Jordan on Twitter at Jordan411Sports. Kelly and I also proudly received two of the coveted Jordan 411 Sports t-shirts. Two of the first ones. Centipedes. And I, oh, I don't just... I know it's gross. Mm. But you don't even is, like to say the word. Oh, I have I, I, I have nightmares about centipedes still from the time I lived uh, lived with a friend at 735 Ravelston in Transcona, and there were centipedes on a daily basis in that basement, and I hated it. So this headline really made me mad. Centipedes, they bite, they bite, but don't kill them. Here's why. Here's a just an introductory clip on this. Ants, fleas, spiders, and centipedes are just some of the household bugs that you may see scurrying around your home in the next little while. If you see a spider, it might not bug you, but what about a centipede? Centipedes definitely freak people out. They're fairly big, they can run fairly fast, and centipedes can actually bite. <laughs> That just makes me even hate them even more. Taz Stewart is here from Poolin's Pest Control. Taz, good morning to you, sir. Good day, good day. I, I'm, I enjoyed that little intro. <laughs> so, yeah, Taz, I mean, I the centipedes, they, they're creepy. They've got like a thousand legs. I, I really, really don't like them. So the idea of seeing one and allowing it to just carry on, I don't understand that. Why would I not want to kill them? Well, they are a beneficial. Uh, they do like moist environments. So if you do have, you know, some moisture issues in your basement or in your house, around your house, you're just creating a good environment for them to be cleaning, you know, eating other bugs, doing what they like to do best. And there's also millipedes. Don't forget about them. But the double set of legs per segment. Oh, yes. It's a worse in my mind in some... Are they the same thing, though? Like, are they doing good out there for us? And that's why we should be okay with them? That's the hard part to saying they're doing good. Yes, everything has a purpose. And... uh Except for, of course, the biting, don't want the biting uh, to occur to a human. But uh, just avoid them. Uh, try and dehumidify, or if you really want to take them out, there are products that are registered for controlling centipedes and millipedes, etc. So, Taz, I know how the seagulls figure out that you've got food. They've got this incredible internet of some sort when they start squawking for each other. You turn around, you've got two going at a, a you know, a, a bag of bread or something. Then you turn around, there's hundreds of them. They seem to have this incredible ability to communicate where there's food. How do the centipedes figure out, hey, this is a, a great place to be and and how quickly do they multiply? Well, everything has, uh, you know, a pheromone uh, scent trails, and they say, hey, there's a nice little snack. I'm going to go clean it up, eat it up. And, of course, they don't like to share as much as seagulls do as well, you know, doing the mine, mine, mine. Remember that? <laughs> um, but they they use trails. They'll find food sources. They'll, they'll scent it with their antennae and uh, go, go search it up and clean it up because they're, they're cleaner, just like our friends, uh, the cockroaches, but those aren't beneficials. Those are more of a public health issue. So it's not the moisture that they're seeking out. It's actually the food source that originates with the moisture issue may be having. Yeah, exactly. Then there could be fungus. There could be other dead insects, parts. They'll, they'll feed on pretty much just about anything. You're a generalist feeder. 
So it's springtime, more bugs popping up. I know that uh, we just call them basement bugs. I can't remember. They're, they're commonly mistaken for silverfish, those little tiny gray kind of slug-like looking things. What are those? Do you know? The- Sow bu- bugs. Sow bugs. another moisture bug. Yeah, they look like a little armadillo is a good describing mm. feature for it. So that's why we're yeah, talking and- about centipedes because they, they're another bug that comes out at this time of year. But I, as, as many of them as I saw, in the basement when I lived with my buddy. I never had one bite me. Do they, is this a common occurrence for people to be bitten by a centipede? That's, uh, I would say it's it's rare. If you're going to handle the centipede, then you're putting yourself at more of a risk of being bitten. But, uh, you know, just letting them crawl away around and doing their hiding jobs, they do so well, they're not going to be going out to you and, hey, you're standing over there or sitting over there, I'm going to come chomp on you. Does it hurt? <laughs> I've never been bitten by one, so I do not have a... A Richter scale of pain threshold for you. <laughs> Why don't you, uh, next time you're out, just pick one up and be our guinea pig on yeah, this let one. let us know. It, it's in you your job description. It it's in your job description, Taz. I really feel oh, like you should oh. know this. Uh, speaking uh, the of... The other related duties, right? <laughs> under other duties as assigned, correct. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the fact that it is spring, is there anything we're watching for this season? You know, like in years past, we've been shocked by a rising number of cockroaches in the city or bed bugs. What's sort of the number one pest of concern as we head into the summer? Well, this is hard to make predictions because, you know, we're having a very slow spring. So I only look out 7 to 14 days. And with wasps being, you know, people's on their minds in the fall, uh, they've had a hard winter. It's been very cold. Lots of insects could be affected by them, uh, especially let's look at the invasives like emerald ash borer. Hopefully that was minus 30 days for multiple weeks in January uh, to help knock down that population that's starting to grow in the city too. Well, I know one thing the cold weather is not knocked down. That's the population of bunny rabbits in my neighborhood. <laughs> Holy man, there are a ton of them. Yes, uh, lots of rodents had a successful winter, including bunny rabbits, uh, mice, rats, etc. It's, uh, it's been a great couple of years for rodents overall. And, wh- and why is that? Is that weather related? Weather related, again, um, I'm... In the fall, when mice want to get into your house and then there's good snow cover, uh, lots of their natural predators can't get them, so they can increase in numbers, having six to eight young, you know, every uh, two, two months, and you can see how quickly they can grow in numbers. So one important thing to state, if you see little football-like shaped poos in, let's say, your shed or in your garage, please don't clean it up with a broom or anything like that. Uh, do the proper procedures, put on a N95 mask, goggles, gloves, soak it down with a 50-50 bleach water mix and then let it sit for 15 minutes and then you can clean it up with a, a scooper. So it's, it's got to be moistened down so that you don't aerosol the potential for hantavirus because you don't know if it was a deer mouse, which carries hantavirus, or a house mouse that made those poops. All right, Taz Stewart joining us live on 680 CJOB. Taz, thank you as always. I appreciate it. You have a great day. You too. Poolin's Pest Control. You can reach them 204-233-2500. Can you sing that one, McNabb? Mm. 233-2500. 233-2500. No fooling. Dial your best. Oh, no. <laughs> Dial your best away today. Oh, boy. Yeah, when I lived in that basement, I saw at least one scurrying across the room every day, like clockwork. I just... Ugh, I would have nightmares. I had this recurring nightmare that that one was crawling out of the wall, and as it was coming out of this hole in the wall, it was getting bigger. Nice. And uh, that's yeah. the only noise I think I've made for the last six minutes. Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. it's gross. I know that they're gross, Ugh. but they're in. They're probably in your home. If you've got a basement, mm-hmm. you've got something mm-hmm. down there. Mm-hmm. And the idea of leaving a centipede alone. 
is difficult because they're so creepy. But that's then it's there. Like you don't know where it went. I know. Can I just gently scoop it up and hurl it outside? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Like I, 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 the fact that they're—I didn't know they were exterminators. With spiders, I know they're exterminators. The odd time I see a spider in the home, there have been times I remember in my apartment I came home and I saw, flipped on the bedroom light switch and I saw a spider, big one, and I thought, well, where there are spiders, there are likely other things. So I just kind of turned the light off and slowly backed out of the room. I, I gave him a stay of execution. Good like, move. You didn't act like this woman in New York yesterday, or was it over the weekend? She had a spider in her car and got into a car accident and blamed it on the spider because... She was driving and panicked and was flailing at the spider and then crashed the vehicle and suffered a leg injury. So, you know, did she should have just calmly left the spider walking around the car. Did doing they what it find does. the spider or was this just an excuse? <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> you know good point. Mm-hmm. Going to have to call in CSI to investigate the, uh, the car <laughs> to see if the spider is still there. Everyone just starts driving around with bags of spiders now as their excuse. <laughs> see the spider on the dash? It was scaring me. <laughs> Hard to believe, but Wednesday marks six six months since cannabis was legalized in Canada. And of course, in the months leading up to October 17th, there were all sorts of conversations about what legalization could mean for crime and our safety, particularly when it comes to the roads and drugged drivers. Sergeant Paul Monegre is with the RCMP and has been looking at those numbers and joins us now. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So let's start with driving while high. What are we seeing well, since the legalization there back in October, uh, our officers uh, kind of started pretty hard, I guess, on finding a lot of cannabis in vehicles. Uh, appears since then the numbers are kind of starting to drop off. Uh, I'm hoping it's the education side of it. People are becoming more aware of what the rules are. So, But we started pretty high with uh, the number of charges under the Highway Traffic Act for having unlawful uh, transportation of cannabis. Hi for the unlawful transportation of cannabis. What what about driving while impaired under the influence of cannabis? Um, we've charged, I think at this point, what, 14 drivers uh, with criminal code impaired driving uh, while suspected to be using cannabis. Uh, so uh, compared to the alcohol side, that's very low. Uh, but I'd say it's, it's kind of concerning that people are still uh, exhibiting this behavior, uh, knowing the rules. Uh, Sergeant, what method are you using to confirm that they are drug drivers? And then also, if you don't mind circling back to this unlawful transportation of cannabis or marijuana, how should we be transporting it from point A to point B in our vehicles? On the transportation side, it's quite simple. It's uh, no different than alcohol. I think uh, most people are aware of what the rules are when purchasing uh, alcohol or beer from uh, distributors is to put it in the in the trunk of the vehicle or in a spot that's inaccessible to the driver. Uh, cannabis is no different. Uh, so people just have the assumption that you bought your little bag, you're coming into the car, and they're just going to put it in the glove compartment or somewhere close or even on the seat. Uh, that's a no-no. It's, it's no different than alcohol. Can you, on the subject of alcohol, if inaccessible to the driver, so can I have it in the back seat? Like under the, under the, the, the passenger seat or something like that? That's going to come down then to the discretion of the officer. If he feels that you've made that attempt to put it away and you're not going to be using it, then it could be uh, fine, but at the same time, it could be, uh, you could receive a fine as well. So the safe way to do either of these substances is just to put them in the trunk? Yes, absolutely. 
I also noticed from your numbers, uh, Sergeant Manager, that you have issued nine uh, tickets for people consuming cannabis while in their car, while they were driving or parked on the side of the road. What's been the scenario there? Usually that might be um, one of the vehicles has been driving. Someone's uh, being pulled over, usually for another offense, could be for a speeding uh, infraction or seatbelts, and then it's the follow-up charges that when the officers start speaking with everyone, and that's when they locate the uh, these types of infractions. A lot was made in the lead up to legalization about, you know, concerns about people driving while high. Based on the numbers you're seeing anecdotally, do you seem do you feel like there's more people uh, driving while under the influence of cannabis or are the numbers relatively the same compared to last year? I would say the numbers are relatively stable. Um, it's a new issue. I guess the concern was everyone was going to do it, but I think it's it was exciting at first. Cannabis is legal. People were going out. I think now that it's stabilized, it's not new anymore. Now we're going back to the norms as to people's uh, consumption behaviors. Are they going to parties? Are they just doing their product at home? So it, we're getting back to routines. It's still more than what we want to see out there, and we're encouraging people and taking enforcement action as far as you can't have, you can't be consuming this while driving. Sergeant, a lot was made uh, in the fall as well about the legislation that allowed RCMP and other police to ask for a breathalyzer on demand, regardless of the situation without probable, what a lot of people see as probable cause, some other sort of situation entering uh, into a, a police officer's decision to pull you over. Does the same apply with regard to, to drug driving? Yes, it's pretty much the same. The officers, uh, like say, for when we're out there, we're usually going to have, like say, reasons to stop a vehicle. And if we're going to make the, the demand, in most cases, the officers uh, are forming their opinion when they do this. We're not just going to blindly pull over a vehicle and make that demand. Um, our demands are tough as it is as far as our resources on the road and what we're doing. So if by the time we're actually pulling a vehicle over or conducting traffic enforcement, we may have suspicions at this point. So it's just another tool for us to kind of push it further just to make sure this person hasn't been consuming. We talked a lot about the Drager Drug Test 5000, which was what was being used as a tool by some police services. I think more than was using it, perhaps one other in Manitoba. Uh, the Winnipeg Police Service do not have that uh, tool as of yet. Have the RCMP made any changes to what they use? Have you guys employed that at all, or is it still more of that uh, assessment, you know, eye tests, that kind of thing? Yeah, right now that's what we're using is the hands-on approach for the officers, is uh, subject field sobriety testing. It's the officers will be examining the behaviors, uh, body movement of the people to determine whether or not uh, further testing is warranted uh, during the investigation. Sergeant, two quick, really quick questions with regards to pickup trucks and smaller vehicles. We've had uh, text messages flowing here about what people do in terms of storing their alcohol and or their uh, other uh, marijuana, etc., as far as where to, to store it, it, correct. Yeah, it's, pickup trucks is kind of an example, too. Uh, let's say sometimes in the middle of January, you're not going to be storing uh, alcohol when it's 30 below, depending on what you purchase. So you're going to try and put it again in the p- part of the vehicle where you're you're making an effort, when, if, you have, if you have to show the officer that you're making an effort to not have it accessible. All right, RCMP. Paul Menegger, Sergeant Paul Menegger, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day, guys.
I want to talk now about the biggest show on television, which made its return last night. Our enemy doesn't tire. Doesn't stop. They're coming. Game of Thrones. And I realize in this room I have one of three who watches the show. The other two do not. Correct? Just making sure you don't watch Game of Thrones, Greg? I'm embarrassed to say I do not. Don't be embarrassed. I am because I should watch it. Why? Because it, it sounds like it's so gripping. McNabb, you don't watch it either. No. But, I probably won't. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a lot to catch up on now, right? I just feel like right? it's too late. Like, I've just missed it. Like, I missed Sopranos. Okay, I'm moving on, you know? Yeah, it's, it's done. It's tough to catch up on something like that. Because uh, you, you got to devote, it's, well, an hour, an episode, seven seasons. The first six seasons were ten episodes of pop. Season seven was seven episodes. And now season six, is, or season eight is going to be six episodes. So that's a lot of TV to get caught up on. But you do have time if you're, uh, if you have... Shaw, for example, you can get the Crave package and then you can go back and watch it all on demand through your PVR because it's all there. But there are potentially, this could be a record setting show in terms of its ratings. Mm. They're thinking maybe 30 million people will have tuned in at some in some capacity. The initial sure. ratings numbers will likely not be that high, but when they HBO likes to factor in their demand like their streaming views and And why wouldn't you people catching up on pvrs but i the cool thing about this show and i think it's also kind of the sad thing is this is really the last big show where like the last big water cooler kind of show you know even the big bang theory Mm -hmm. one of the biggest shows on tv but it's not it's not really a water cooler kind of show and i can't is that done i'm hoping it's done it's over this is going to be its last one yeah but, You're hoping it's done. Well, I just, that's a show I'm not You're interested in. Yeah. But Game of Thrones is one of the few shows where you could say to somebody, hey, do you watch this? And there's a chance that they'll say, yeah. Mm-hmm. How many times have you had a conversation where you're like, oh, I started watching this show and people look at you like, what? What are you talking about? No, no Game of Thrones, I think we're, I don't know if we're in the minority, Greg, but a lot of people that I, in my world and circles and stuff, that's a show they watch. So I feel like I'm behind. I do feel foolish for not watching it. I honestly to goodness, do not feel good about not indulging in this oh pastime. God. Oh, I would, I would try to assuage your fear on that because, like, do drag, do do movies and shows about dragons? No, make no, you but excited? It, well, but, then, then, then don't worry about but it. But the underlying story and the conflict within is just supposed to be so appetizing. I just feel like I'm missing out. Okay, so how many days since the last season? The last season seven ended or something like that. Yeah, it was or? August twenty. Oh, it was more. Oh. It was August twenty seventh, twenty seventeen. Oh gosh, sorry, like yeah, like five hundred days, days. right? Yeah. So did you did you do any prep work like to go back? No, I thought about it. I thought about rewatching season seven, and then I just said, "Nah, I'm just going to go in fresh." So, and uh, I was very happy when it when it came on. I was like, I actually had my arm. I was like pumping my fist. <laughs> I was like, "Yes, it's finally here!" And then at eleven o'clock, I thought, "Oh, I'm so tired. I'm going to be in pain tomorrow." And sure enough, I could not get up this morning. So. Worth it. Total, worth the totally tiredness. worth it. Then there yeah. you go. The next five Mondays are going to suck for me, but I will be happy because Game of Thrones is back. We were talking about Game of Thrones in our previous half hour. Well, Loren, this is being called a game of chicken of sorts. Yeah, it's being played out between politicians at Manitoba Legislature, and the result, I guess, could be a snap election. So it has to do with a bill before the legislature and a section of it that the opposition is so far refusing to support. Canadian press reporter Steve Lambert joins us on the phone to help us understand what's happening here. Good morning, Steve. 
Good morning. Let's get to this game of chicken. What do we mean? Well, there's a uh, the bill that implements all the budget changes uh, is before the House right now, and one section of it would reduce the provincial sales tax, as the government has promised, as of July 1st. Another section would uh, eliminate uh, taxpayer-funded uh, rebates for campaign expenses when political parties go out and spend money on election campaigns for uh, renting offices or hiring staff, uh, putting up ads, that sort of thing. They get half their money back, and uh, the Tories are planning to eliminate that. The NDP are opposed to it. They say uh, it makes uh, it harder for people with uh, less income to run for office. It makes things less democratic. So they're both fighting over this bill, and there's been some hints dropped from the government that this this could cause uh, an early election. Um, and of course, elections are always fought on, you know, people want to define the ballot box issue to whatever helps them. So if the Tories can go to the voters and say, mm, the opposition's holding up this bill that would cut your sales tax, uh, that might work well for them. And if the opposition can say, well, we're holding up this bill because it makes elections less fair, uh, maybe that works for them. Uh, so right now, the NDP is supposed to announce by Wednesday. They have to announce by Wednesday whether they're going to hold up this bill until the fall. And then the ball will be in the premier's court. So explain to us how that works. So if they, if they these de- delayed tactics, if they hold it out until November, well, why does he then get to call the election? Explain to me the connection there. Well, he can call the election anytime. Um, he doesn't have to call the election. But if they're going to delay this bill for months, he might use that as an excuse to say, well, enough of these uh, delays and obfuscations, I'm, I'm going to go uh, to the polls. In fact, he, he sort of hinted that he might do that in a vague way last Friday. So um, he's, he's hinted before about calling an early election. We've talked about this before. This might be one way where he feels he gets to go to an early election, uh, get a second mandate uh, sooner than later, and go while he's still uh, relatively high in the polls. And does he not get the added benefit then of pointing at the opposition and saying, hey, they're, uh, they're the ones that are really forcing my hand in this? Yeah, I mean, he can point to the delays and the obfuscation, and, and I mean, all political parties delay bills. Uh, when, when Pallister was in the opposition, he delayed uh, the bill to increase the PST, uh, delayed it for about six months. Um, so all opposition parties, you know, oppose bills, delay bills, do what they can in the House. Uh, right now, one of the MLAs in the opposition is, is talking out the bill. Uh, they can delay it till November. They can't. They can't kill it because the Tories have a majority. So it's going to come to a vote November latest. The Tories have a solid majority, so it it will pass. So there's no real need to have an election, as far as I see. But uh, it may give the premier um, a rationale to go to the voters and say, "Hey, uh, I need a, a clear mandate to cut the PST," and the opposition is fighting it. But what happens if an election is called? Let's say it's called in the next 45 days. Does that bill then die? And then what happens to the PST cut? Yeah, that's where things get really interesting. Uh, if, if an election is called, say, very shortly and held before July 1st, um, the moment an election is called, the legislature has dissolved all bills currently before the legislature, and there's a good dozen plus of them, uh, die. So there's no longer legislation to cut the PST. So you'd have to get reelected, call the House back uh, quickly, and introduce the bill again to cut the PST. 
Um, what, one strange thing that might happen, and we're going down a rabbit hole here, but let's say there's an election in August. Um, the bill, the bill to cut the PST is before the House still. The PST is cut July 1st. As long as the bill is still before the House, it's cool. But if an election is called, again, the legislature is dissolved, the bills all die on the order paper, there's no more legislation to cut the PST, does it go back up? So mm. there's this weird sort of uncertainty depending on when the election is held. Now, I thought that he didn't, I thought he could still lower the tax on July 1st, even if the bill hasn't been passed into law yet. Yes, he can, as long as the bill is still before the House. The issue that constitutional experts might argue about is that if he calls an election and the bill hasn't passed, um, the bills all die on the order paper. There's no longer a bill before the legislature to cut the PST. So theoretically, it might have to go up if, again, if there's an election between July 1st and uh, whenever that bill does get passed, say, in November. And we don't know for sure at, at this point that the NDP is going to delay it. They've certainly hinted at it. They've certainly dropped several hints that they're going to delay this bill till November. We're going to find out on Wednesday. And then again, the ball will be in the Premier's court. If the NDP delays this bill, what does he do with that signal? So the water will get just slightly less muddier on Wednesday. Yes, yes. <laughs> it might clear things up, but, it, but it's, a, it's a game of chess as well. So when the opposition makes one move, the Premier makes a counter move. Canadian press reporter Steve Lambert joining us live on 680 CJOB. Steve, thank you for this. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Last December, December 2018, I'm in the basement at Hudson's Bay downtown for Third and Bird. The We've spoken with Third and Bird a few times over the last couple of years. Their next, the spring market is coming up May 4th and 5th, and it's just a congregation of all sorts of local creators, local businesses, and I spoke with the man at the Peg Authentic Brand. And I learned that not only does he have this business, but he's also a sports psychologist. And I've been looking for a reason to get them on the show. Mm-hmm. And with the Jets on their playoff run and the Peg releases their whiteout gear at this time of year, I thought this is the time. So in studio with us, we have from the Peg Authentic Brand, Stephen Dubienski and Sarah Dubienski. Sarah now running the business full time as Stephen looks to other things, and we'll get into all of that. But first of all, I'm wearing the same shirt that Stephen's wearing right now. <laughs> and uh, you may have seen it on television, Darcy Oak, the magician, the son of Scott Oak. He was seen, shown on television wearing this shirt, and Stephen and Sarah, when that happened, how did you guys, like, where, did, where were you, I guess, when that happened, Stephen? So it's a good story. Actually, Sarah and I um, got last-minute tickets to the game from our brother-in-law. Um, so we were at the game and all of a sudden halfway, I think was the first intermission. My phone started buzzing. Um, every time you get a text message or a sale on the peg, I get a little buzz. So all of a sudden I turn to Sarah, I go, my phone's going off. I look at my phone and all of a sudden within five minutes, there's quite a number of online sales. And then all of a sudden the buddies start texting in, um, Darcy Oak was just featured on intermission. His dad was kind of ribbing him a little bit, but, uh, they focused (laughs) on him wearing the shirt and, uh, um, Scott Oak, you know, set our brand and uh, who we are. And so obviously that does a tremendous amount of promotion and marketing. Completely unplanned. Like you didn't know that was coming. That's Completely just the, wow, unplanned. Yeah. Completely unplanned. 
So uh, the funny story is Scott Oak mentioned that Darcy Oak's mom came to the store that morning as he was flying back from Atlantic City and bought his mom uh, a shirt. And uh, so he was prepared for the game in his uh, white monochromatic year. Absolutely fantastic. And this logo and this uh, this brand has really picked up steam over the last little bit. Uh, before Friday night, what was responsible yeah. for that, Michelle? Because uh, we're, we're so thrilled to take a look at brands that are embracing the fact that they are Winnipeg-centric. So mm-hmm. what, what was the inspiration and what do you think has driven the popularity of, of the brand? Well, it all got started back in 2013, actually. So um, Stephen and I were planning on moving back to Winnipeg from Vancouver. um, And there was a brand out there called Van City Original Brand who was um, doing amazing things and had been um, kind of doing that for about 15 years at that time. And now they just celebrated their 20-year anniversary. Um, So it's actually um, inspired with that and we're partnered with them. And so we said we need to take this concept back to Winnipeg because at that time, there wasn't really anyone that was doing anything that was streetwear style, but also had um, like to represent the city um, as well. And we wanted to do something that was fashionable, like on trend and inspired by arts, uh, music um, and uh, streetwear or sports. So um, since then, we started online, like really small beginnings. We started at the Urban Bakery, which was on Kennedy Street um, there and or sorry, Graham and Kennedy um, then they've since uh, now moved on, and um, we did online. And then we, when our store um, opportunity came up, we said, we just need to do this because I think it's the right time. There's also in some of your clothing, and I don't know if it's all of it, there's the I love, I hate Winnipeg yes. thing, which is very yeah. Winnipeg. I, was that in, That's obviously intentional in a, as a yes. way that only Winnipegers would understand that in some respects. Yes, so that was actually designed um, by a good friend and an artist and photographer friend, uh, Rachel King-Johnson. She has a company called Lucky Girl Creative, and she started out with her love-hate Winnipeg prints, um, which did really amazing, which had, like, the hate was obviously faded. It's faded, yes. You you see the love far more than Mm -hmm. you see the hate. And some people have said, I don't know, I think it needs to be reversed, but (laughs) I think we like it how it is. Um, So we have that in the store uh, right now, and um, there's um, we've got still a few left, and we've also doing prints like that. So um, at that time, we said to Rachel, we said, we really need to get that going. We think it would be something different to bring into the store because we have stuck um, with our um, main logo for a long time, which is, of course, inspired um, by the New York uh, hip-hop group uh, Run DMC, which some people know, but I think a lot of people uh, know that, and which started with Van City um, when he started experimenting with old um, hip hop mm-hmm. and rap logos back in the '90s. So, no, Stephen, the, the jersey that uh, I think was last year, the first year you did the the monochromatic white jersey. Yeah, absolutely. So the jersey was just inspired uh, that we could take a hockey jersey and make it all white due to the playoffs coming back. So we partnered up with Keener Jerseys, a local manufacturer here in Winnipeg, who are the jersey experts uh, on Portage. And we designed a collaborative jersey that was going to be all white, monochromatic, detailed um, to really do something unique and different uh, to the Winnipeg community. And uh, we launched 24 jerseys last year that almost sold out in two days. And so we knew we were on to something. And this year, 
We produced 48 jerseys, and I believe we only have seven or eight left. So if you want that monochromatic white jersey, come on down to the store, 807 Cordon or thepegauthentic.com, and uh, scoop it up before they're gone for Thursday's game. Well, I was on my way home from a family birthday yesterday, and my boys were talking about this. Mm -hmm. Dad, have you seen that peg? The the peg (laughs) jersey, it's all white. It's so cool. How do we get one? Well, now we know how to get one because they were super hyped about this. It's all over social media media all over uh, my kids' Instagram. So it's popular with the young people and it transcends the hockey fans as well. You don't necessarily have to be a hockey fan to be a fan of the peg. No, it's absolutely. And what's neat about this jersey is there's so many hidden details within the jersey to make it really unique. Um, Within the number, we have the peg etched within the number and then about 12 points of detail throughout the jersey to just really make it uh, a unique collaborate piece that um, stands alone. So we thought it was a great opportunity and the success has been magnified by the reaction from the consumer base. Yeah, when I was in on Friday to buy the, the long sleeve t-shirt, I I had to stop and look at the jersey and uh, I really had to pull myself away because there was almost uh, an impulse purchase that uh, I wasn't prepared to make when I went in there. So, But it's super nice. It yeah, really is nice. Yeah, it's all manufactured. Uh, it's milled in Ontario and then it's all custom hand finished by Keener himself. So everything's sewn on and detailed um, by him and handmade. So... You know, it's quite attention to detail that makes a one-of-a-kind piece for sure. I'm curious how many people you get as customers who actually don't live in Winnipeg anymore. I know with my own family, most of them have dispersed across North America. But anytime I bring anything that's from any of the local companies, well, that becomes the next Christmas gift because they want to wear that with pride wherever they're living now. Do you hear that a lot? Absolutely. And that was the big inspiration is I didn't live in Winnipeg for almost 12 years after graduating from high school. And uh, I always wanted to and was proud to represent Winnipeg or tell everyone I was from Winnipeg. And it was always potentially a pipe dream to create this clothing brand or streetwear brand that people um, that are not living in Winnipeg can still represent. Because if you meet anyone from around the world that's from Winnipeg, they're very um, confident and love and proud to be from Winnipeg. So why not give them a piece of clothing that represents how proud they are? And for, you know, a ton of our sales are online sales to people all, all over the world, which is really neat. And, and you're right, a lot of people come into the store and se- um, to get gifts to send off to their family and friends that don't live in Winnipeg. And the reaction is phenomenal because we see those people coming back to the store saying, now I have to go get it for my family member because mm-hmm. I got it for this family member. And, you know, I, I might as well get one myself. So, you know, it's pretty pretty cool. And, and you know, none of, none of this happens overnight. We are tremendously uh, supportive of the community. It's all, you know, the consumer base builds this brand. We started very small scale six years ago and um, every year we're getting bigger and bigger and that only ex- drives us to keep uh, producing some really some really good content for you guys. Well, you're sitting with two people in this room that have been repatriated, mm. uh, Loren once, me three times and when I used to live in Alberta and British Columbia, my friends out there would always say, if Winnipeg's so good, why don't you just move back there? <laughs> and so, you know, I indulged them a, a couple of different times and have no intention of leaving now. What is it about people, though, that that live away, that are from here, that are so darn proud of where they come from? I know there's a certain generation maybe that left in the 70s. They're not the same way. But if you left in the late 80s, mid 90s, there is still that proud about being from that pride of being from Winnipeg. Well, I think Winnipeg, uh, it can be a testament to the people. Everyone always comments how friendly um, the people are here in Winnipeg. 
how in the summer times you can escape into the beautiful nature, lakes, cabins. Yes, the winters um, are cold and harsh, but it only builds a character. And people from Winnipeg, I think, have a ton of character. And it's a welcome place to live and raise a young family. I know that's a big reason why Sarah and I moved back a couple of years ago was the opportunity to raise a young family in a, in a really small community for a big city and have that connection and have your family and friends around. So it's... Um, you know, Winnipeg is is a proud city, and, and we're there to uh, hopefully complement that. Stephen Dubienski and Sarah Dubienski are from the Peg Authentic brand. You can follow them on social media at the Peg Authentic, and you can go. Their shop is at 807 Cordon. And we haven't had time yet to get into it, so we'll check your forecast. And we want to ask Stephen about the other thing he's got going on, which, like, what you guys have talked about sounds like you're you've got plenty time, on your hands yes. already. <laughs> But that's you're not you're you're kind of arm's length, right, Stephen? I am. No, Sarah, it's really neat, and people, uh, uh, I love bragging about this and promoting that the peg is run by Sarah Dubinsky. Um, she does the day to day. She manages the store. She does all the social media, all the ordering, all the design work, and uh, she's really the driver behind the brand. Um, I give her her full credit for how it looks online and on social media, and the product that is produced. The customer service is phenomenal. So it's uh, I love to promote that Sarah is behind the peg. Not many people know that, but we're trying to get that word out there. But right now, we are speaking with Stephen and Sarah Dubienski from the Peg Authentic brand, and we brought them in because they've got all sorts of fancy whiteout inspired gear right now. But Stephen, you are while well, you're still involved in the business, you're full time. Sports psychologist, right? Yes, yeah, sports uh, sports psych consultant. Absolutely, um, I've had the fortune experience of teaching the sports psych programs at U of W for the last three years. Kind of was made famous by Doctor Botterill, whose son is the GM of the Buffalo Sabers, and daughter Jen Botterill, and who grew that program for thirty five years. So it's an honor to kind of take that torch and keep promoting um, the mental health and well-being of athletes in the community, but also the the students that aren't athletes in my class really benefit from maybe some of the tools and education about how to really get your mind the way you want in terms of focus, concentration, emotional management, and things like that, time management to really excel in their academics if they're not excelling in their sports. So sports psychology really has that crossover effect. I love speaking at companies uh, about sports psych, but how it can really maybe benefit you and your corporate identity as well. So that's a huge passion. And also got a, a clinic, a center going on on Pemina, actually three, um, 354 Fleet Avenue. Um, we got a couple little offices where we do biofeedback, neurofeedback work, um, working with athletes to perform, you know, their focus and concentration and their heart rate availability. Because you see, for instance, Tiger Woods, we're talking mm-hmm. about him, you saw him before the first tee at the Masters, he went into a three-minute breathing routine and focus and concentration routine, and that usually locks him in until the end of the round. So I also watched him even at the very end. I can't remember who was taking the last uh, pot before him, put his head down, mm-hmm. deliberately wasn't necessarily watching, then took this big breath. He had a whole routine obviously that was very much about him figuring out how to hold it all in before yeah. he released right no it's phenomenal um golf has really taken to sports like most golf um, professionals on the pga tour have a sports psych and actually a cool story Corey connors actually came to our clinic two years ago and spent a week doing heart rate variability training and i got to spend some time with him so it was exciting that he got that big win last week um, we're very fortunate. Coach Derek Ingram, the head coach of Golf Canada, is based out of Winnipeg, who I have a really strong relationship with. So um, we're pretty lucky on that retrospect. So it's neat when you see these athletes that are taking care of the mental side of the game and having it you know, come to fruition down the road and, and paying off. 
Now, uh, something that can disrupt that dramatically is, is traumatic brain injury or concussion. And we're learning a lot more in the last decade than we had in history before that, the effect that that can have on your brain, not only in terms of how you feel physically, but your mood and your ability to, to perform and to be yourself. Yeah, absolutely. A concussion is a human injury, and, and it's a traumatic brain injury in itself. And six years ago, I was working at a company that I was exposed to a number of athletes um, that were pretty high-performance athletes, and a few of them had concussions and were just struggling with coming back to themselves and who they were and, and recognizing themselves when they looked in the mirror. Um, their focus and concentration was off. Their behavioral management was uncontrolled controllable, um, just a number of factors that just did not have them feel themselves and weren't getting the necessary education or management tools to really rehabilitate themselves or understanding about symptoms and how to and recognize them and recover. So I saw two years I really looked into it while I was at my other line of work and I wrote a letter to U of M to the sports psychologist there, Dr. Alicia Strand, about my idea of how can we rehabilitate these individuals psychologically and physiologically to get them back to be the people they were before their injury. So um, six years later, I'm still entrenched in that work. 200,000 people across Canada potentially suffer a traumatic brain injury every year and really don't know how to recover from it, don't know how to recognize the symptoms, don't understand what they should do. So I'm hopefully there to come and be that support system um, and use you know a holistic uh, measure to recovery and biofeedback and neurofeedback. And biofeedback really rebuilds your physiology, your breathing, your skin conductance, your heart rate, your muscle tension, all things that are affected from your concussion and your neurofeedback is we understand that our brains are plastic and have the ability to regenerate and rebuild themselves and have that ability to do so. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.